I'm Tracy McCauley. And I'm Liz Zuleika. We are cardiology pharmacists, educators, and self-declared literature crusaders. With the help of national cardiology pharmacy experts, we at CardioScripts aim to keep you up to date. In this episode of CardioScripts, Tracy interviews Dr. Ben Van Tassel talking about Pioneer. Enjoy the episode. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Ben Van Tassel, who's a professor at VCU School of Pharmacy. He has conducted over 20 clinical trials in the cardiovascular disease arena and has published greater than 100 peer-reviewed manuscripts. He has grant funding primarily with NIH and AHA and also with the pharmaceutical industry. And we are just grateful for you to join us today and give your sort of insider insights on this. Thank you very much. So today we're talking about the Pioneer HF trial published in late 2018, but then there was the subsequent follow-up that was published this year in December from an open-label extension arm. So we're going to talk a little bit about both. There's already been an established benefit in chronic heart failure with reduced EF from the Paradigm HF trial for Sucubitrol Valsartan, and this was a study seeking to examine if it was started in hospitalized patients with acute heart failure would it reduce NT pro BNP when compared to enalapril? So this was a multi-centered, double-blind, randomized, active controlled trial that included adults with an EF less than 40% and an NT pro BNP that was greater than 1600. They had to be admitted with the primary diagnosis of acute decompensated heart failure with evidence of volume overload. Patients were started on either enalapril or sucubitrol valsartan while they were still hospitalized. Important exclusion criteria include if the patients had been unstable in the last six hours, and that was really defined as a low systolic blood pressure less than 100, or the increasing use of IV diuretics or IV vasodilators, and then if they had been on inotropes within the last 24 hours. So 881 patients were enrolled at 129 centers in the U.S. The patients included were, or were about 60 years old and two-thirds male. Compared to other evaluations of sucubitrol valsartan, there were more black patients included in this within all U.S. cohorts, so 35% were black patients, and the median systolic blood pressure at enrollment was 118, and NT pro BMP at baseline was around 4,800. Overall, they found that the NT pro BMP at eight weeks was reduced by 45% with sucubitrol valsartan and 25% with enalapril, which was statistically significant. Secondary analysis of this primary study showed that rehospitalization was decreased, but we do need to interpret that carefully given that the analysis wasn't adjusted for multiple comparisons. Published this year and presented previously at the ACC 19 meeting are the results from an open label expansion trial of the Pioneer patient populations. So essentially, they took the patients in the enalapril arm off of enalapril and switched them to sucubitrol valsartan for weeks eight through 12. And when they compared them to the patients who originally started and continued on sucubitrol valsartan, they essentially caught up. So their NT pro BNP was reduced to levels similar to those of the patients that were originally put on the entity, meaning that it still produced a profound effect on that surrogate endpoint. So we'll, we'll let you 
sort of explain what your maybe disclosure is related to this and what your role was at VCU in the, the Pioneer trial? Sure. So we were, we were one of the sites in the U.S. that enrolled patients. We, we try to keep a, what we call a balanced portfolio of studies up and running here. So we, we have studies of our own that we try to uh, implement and execute. And then we also try to do one or two industry studies at a time just so that we're uh, getting experience in both types of research. So the Pioneer study was one that we were doing here at VCU. And uh, we enrolled about 20 patients. So it was a good chance to get some more familiarity with Entresto since it was just recent, it had just recently come out and there was a lot of, I think, discussion and there was a lot of uncertainty about the right patient population to use it in. And I think one of our, one of our local concerns was, you know, how well is Entresto really going to be tolerated right out of the gate? With the prior paradigm study, there was that whole kind of run-in phase where they kind of screened out some of the folks that may have had that, those early tolerability issues. So we were interested in a group just in seeing how well this would actually work, how feasible it was to just start patients during that acute hospitalization for heart failure. Yeah, I think you hit on a really interesting point, and that was just, you know, these were patients who I think largely we were ready to start vasodilator. Mm-hmm. And up mm-hmm. until this point, it was really a conversation of should that be out of the gates with Secubitrol Valsartan, or should we really do this tolerability check? Yeah, and I think that where we were a little bit, and I think a lot of the community had just mixed feelings and uncertainty was, if you look back at the way the paradigm study was done, that these were patients who had a, for the most part, had a history of being on RAS inhibitors already, being on beta blockers already, being on aldosterone blockers already. And so what was the right time in therapy to switch those folks over? Did we need to wait until they'd already been put on ACE inhibitors or ARBs or beta blockers? You know, was this after you had those core therapies on board or could you just, you know, right as the patient is diagnosed, could you put Entresto on board as kind of that first move that you make. So the Pioneer study really gave us that opportunity to try that out and, and kind of ex- explore how important it was to get the other drugs on board first. And there was a substantial number of patients in the study who really were new diagnoses of heart failure. And this was the first drug that they got for their heart failure. So what are your thoughts on what this open label expansion arm tells us or what it adds to our current understanding? I think that the take-home message for most of this study is that the patients do better. They seem to do better on Entresto. I guess, so the main pioneer study says if you start it right during that hospitalization, um, certainly their BNP is going to look better and they're, you're probably preventing early rehospitalization. If you wait until two months out and then you switch over, the, the benefits seem to mirror what you see if you start it earlier. And then once you're out of that eight to 12 week window, now you're back in paradigm territory. So if you switch somebody over, you know, two, three, four months down the road, we, it, we know pretty well from paradigm that there's again, this, this substantial 25 to 30% reduction in events. So if you back up and look at that, it seems like the benefit is pretty consistent throughout. And if anything, it may even be greater if you're starting it during the the hospitalization period. And for, you know, there's a long history in heart failure of BNP and now NT pro BNP and mm-hmm. what, what that sort of means as far as 
the outcomes of a heart failure patient. Will you mm-hmm. give folks a little bit of understanding of why that was chosen as the surrogate endpoint and what sort of prognostic value it has? So I think we've all been desperate for, you know, for decades, if not longer, trying to find a reliable biomarker for heart failure. I mean, this, for the most part, this is a, you know, we say it's a clinical syndrome, right? That's, that's driven by shortness of breath and fatigue and these subjective symptoms. But we would all, as, as scientists and as investigators, we'd love to have a number that we could point to. We'd love to have this blood test that we could run that would tell us how sick somebody is. We know that the more strain and stress you put on the ventricles, the more BNP is going to be released. So it tracks reasonably well that higher BNP levels predict worse outcomes, and it suggests that your patient isn't doing quite so well. So it's a great biomarker in terms of predicting outcomes in the future. I think where there is some, where the greater controversy is today is how well it is a marker of response to treatment. And I don't know that that's been completely established. I think there's good evidence to suggest that if you improve somebody's BNP, they're in a better place. It is a little reminiscent of the Nasiratide era, which gives some of us a little bit of pause. I guess, so going back to the BNP thing, this is where I think this particular study really gets interesting. And I think this is where, as a community, we need to have more conversations about it to sort this out. Because I think where Pioneer differs from a traditional study is Pioneer seems like the study that you would traditionally do first, looking at a surrogate biomarker before you do the phase three study to look at the heart endpoints. But in this case, the paradigm study was already done before Pioneer was done. So it, it, it almost feels a little bit out of order. I think it changes some of the ways in which we interpret this. If we're comfortable with with the paradigm study really establishing at least the efficacy of this drug in, in kind of the chronic heart failure population, then we're looking back at this and we're saying, okay, we know this is a drug that can have a sizable benefit on outcomes, not just hospitalization, but mortality. So if we now take this drug and we use it in a slightly higher risk population that's maybe a little bit more hemodynamically unstable, which was kind of my concern going into it, if we see you know, numbers that suggest a similar benefit on these heart failure outcomes, it's not like these are numbers, these are outcomes that we've never seen before. It's not like these are numbers that have never been verified in a massive phase three study. The fact that the benefits were consistent with what usually would have been the follow-up study make these a little bit more reliable in my mind than, than the early Nasaratide stuff. And I also think that what makes me more comfortable with these outcomes is the fact that this wasn't a therapy that we started for in-house. We continued for 72 hours and then we stopped. This is something that we initiated and continued. So in my mind, I don't look at this so much as a treatment for acute heart failure. I look at it as a treatment for chronic heart failure that happened to be initiated during an acute episode, if that makes sense. Having this eight and 12 week follow-up and showing a signal in hospitalizations is important for us in health systems right now with all the talk of quality care and bundled payment that's going out to 90 days post readmission. Um, you know, we really do need support around that first 12 weeks. And so I think there was promise there. And as I said, we have to interpret it carefully, but I think that's probably something you all talked about at VCU as well. I'm probably in the grand scheme of things, I'm probably a little bit more bullish on the, you know, the efficacy that is shown by those, you know, eight and 12 week hospitalization outcomes. You know, if this were just therapy X and we didn't know what it was and you did this trial and said, Hey, with eight weeks of treatment, 
if somebody comes back to you and says, we can reduce your risk of rehospitalization from 14% down to 8, 8%, you know, basically a 45% reduction in your, call it your 60-day hospitalization. If somebody comes in and says, I can get you a 45% reduction in that and an absolute risk reduction of almost 6%, that's something we have to pay attention to. The fact that this is not just a new drug that's coming out of, out of nowhere, but a drug that we already know is does a good job of this in chronic treatment makes me pretty impressed by these results. When we're trying to present these things to our students, there's absolutely a role in every conversation to be thinking about the cost of the drug. But we try to divide that conversation up into two steps. So we, we try to say, you know, step one is, does, does the treatment actually work? First, let's decide, look at the studies themselves, look at the evidence and say, is there evidence of an actual benefit here? And try to make a decision on that before you start thinking about the cost. The economics of it is a, that's a much wilder and much woolier conversation that I would say I, as excited as I am about this drug and the potential, potential there is to modify the treatment course, personally, I, I really do have a hard time with the cost. Um, we have a largely uninsured or underinsured population at our, at our hospital in Richmond. And so if the patients don't have good insurance, if this is not on their, not on their preferred list, they're not going to be able to take this long-term. I will say it has become easy to get patients on at least a month's worth of this. Through the patient assistance programs, we can get almost everybody on a month's worth. But the question then becomes, well, if you're just going to be on it for a month and then you have to go back to enalapril and there's that chance for maybe missing some days in between while there's the confusion about the prior offs and getting things paid for, is it really worth getting them on a month or two of this before they just go back to a regular ACE or ARB? But you could turn around and point at the Pioneer study and say, hey, all you need is eight weeks of treatment and you've already knocked out 45% of the hospitalization. And I think this study may be one of the best pieces of evidence to show that, hey, that early hustle to get somebody on board by going to get on quickly may actually be better long-term for the patient, that there's benefit to be had just by a couple months of, of treatment. So mm -hmm. we do see clinical trial patients, particularly in heart failure, do really well compared to what we see in real life. And I think a lot of that is around a close attention to the follow-up and frequent visits that I don't like people to walk away from trials and not try to reproduce that aspect of care in the mm -hmm. real world. And so mm -hmm. that, that's resource intense, but I think is a great role for pharmacists. So how often were you seeing these folks? So during the, during the eight-week period, I believe we saw them five times. How feasible is it to think that you're going to be able to see all of your heart failure patients five to six times over the course of two to three months. Yeah, that's, that's going to be tough to reproduce. And to your point, even in this study, there were still about 20% of patients in both groups, in both arms, that had to discontinue treatment because of some tolerability issue. So you can't just start this and expect to see somebody back in, in three months and think that everything's going to be okay. But I, I think you're right also that this is a, you can make a great argument that pharmacists would be the ideal folks to be seeing these folks during the early treatment period. I would agree entirely. I would just really like to thank you on behalf of Liz and I for being on CardioScripts and sharing your thoughts about the Pioneer trial. Thanks. In the next episode of CardioScripts, we talked to Barbara Wiggins at NUSC about the ischemia trial. For more information, you can visit our site at cardioscripts.com 
For more questions or conversation, join us on Twitter at Cardioscript. Talk to you next time.